Microphone check. One, two. CC. Hello and welcome at CC. Hello and welcome at one, two, three, four, five, six. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. There we go. Rolling. So it's very important to engage with social media and the best platforms that I find, the most effective platforms, the ones that people actually engage with properly and you get interest and you have to kind of build up at an early stage the know, like, trust formula, which which means that people start to get to know the project and more about you. They start to maybe like it because they see more about it and engage and then they trust it. The platforms that are most beneficial for documentary and any types of film really I've found are Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 52. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, the Documentary Life Podcast, and the Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. When I first started researching ways to raise funds for my first doc film, I kept coming across the term fiscal sponsorship. Not knowing what it really was, I simply tried ignoring it for a while, but that wasn't going to work. The more I looked into grant applications and the more I talked about trying to get donations from individuals and organizations, the more I kept hearing about, about documentary films being attached to a fiscal sponsorship. And once I began actually looking into that, I quickly realized what all the fuss was about. Fiscal sponsorships were something that doc filmmakers would try and align themselves with because essentially it would allow potential donors to be able to use as a tax deduction for that year. It also allowed the filmmaker to raise grant funds from institutions that only awarded grants to nonprofit organizations. You see, fiscal sponsorships are offered by organizations that have the coveted 501c3 status, also commonly referred to as nonprofits. Nonprofits are often made up of, of public charities and, and private foundations, and with this 501c3 status, they're given exemption from federal taxes. And so, by a nonprofit organization allowing you to align your film with them, you fall under this what I like to call an umbrella of nonprofit status. Now, now this doesn't mean that your film will not be able to make a profit. Not at all. Not at all. It, it simply means that your project is it's sort of sheltered by the nonprofit organization's federal tax exemption status, which is attractive to private donors because they can then use this donation, like I said, as a deduction on their taxes. Now, it's important to note, this has absolutely nothing to do with how you'll be filing taxes at the end of your own tax year. Don't, don't make the mistake of thinking that you or your film are somehow exempt from federal taxes now. That would only happen if you actually filed and were accepted for 501c3 status yourself, if, if you were applying for that status as, as a nonprofit organization yourself. Um, and, and that's often a lengthy, painful, and, and not, very, not a very cheap process. Hence, another reason that we doc filmmakers apply for fiscal sponsorship with a group. 
in exchange for not having to go through the process of actually filing for a nonprofit status, we'll simply align ourselves with a nonprofit organization, you know, that has the 501c3 status with the other understanding that in financial terms, at least, this is simply to allow for potential donors to make tax deductible donations to your film. And again, it also allows us to apply for the grants that are only offered to nonprofits. Of course, this is an exchange, right? There's an exchange here for, for the organization that agrees to be your fiscal sponsor. So all raised funds, it must go through their system and they will generally take a small percentage from these funds. The organization can make a little bit of money and they can be associated with your documentary film. Now, there are many, many organizations out there to choose from, some specifically related to film, others not, not related to film necessarily at all. Um, and they all generally have an application process in place, and they all generally do the same thing. But some might be more user-friendly to filmmakers than others. So the question then becomes for you, Doc Lifer, is what should you be looking for in a fiscal sponsorship? The first fiscal sponsorship that I had was a group on the East Coast of the U.S. called Center for Independent Documentary, also known, commonly known as CID. I'd heard about them from, from some colleagues and through research, and, and, and they definitely kept coming up as one of the leading fiscal sponsors for documentary filmmakers here in the U.S. After applying with my film, I have to say that I was mildly surprised when I was accepted. And I took this as a good sign of the potential of my film for festivals, as well as potential funding sources. However, it wasn't until I began reaching out to them with some questions about funding and, and certain grants that I, I quickly realized that one of the reasons that they were so known in the doc community was because they had a massive roster of films. I'm not saying that they accept everyone, but, but they clearly were a fiscal sponsor for, well, for a heck of a lot of doc filmmakers. Now, you'll notice that I said that I, when I began reaching out to them. What you didn't hear me say was when I began dialoguing or communication with them. And, and that's because I could never seem to get them to return a call. I simply got the same voicemail announcements each and every time I would call them. And, and honestly, it actually sounded like some woman who was running CID out of her basement. That was not what I was expecting at all. Now, I tell you this not to discourage you from CID in any way, because I've also spoken with filmmakers who had great support and, and response from them. And, and in fact, that they would develop a good relationship with CID, that they've continued to use them, in fact, as a fiscal sponsor um, on, on all ensuing films. It's just that for, for whatever reason, that wasn't my experience. And so, so I would end up taking on another fiscal sponsorship. And, and, and yes, you can generally have more than one fiscal sponsor, but, but you do want to make sure that this is possible um, with you, uh, whomever, I should say, you initially align yourself with. I only did this to jump to a fiscal sponsor that was geographically a bit more local to me and, and hopefully would allow for maybe a little bit more one-on-one -on -one involvement with the group. Now, you're probably saying right about now, what's what's the point? Are, aren't you just trying to get a fiscal sponsor in order to take advantage of the of that 501c3 shelter? Yes and no. There are other ways in which fiscal sponsoring groups can help you and your film, um, but that's included in what I'm about to share with you, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. What I'd like to impart to you today, good doc lifers, you future appliers of fiscal sponsorships, is is what I'm going to call five things to look for in a fiscal sponsor. 
Now, the first one is what is their reputation? It's your responsibility to find out what the potential fiscal sponsor's track record is. And it's generally pretty easy to figure this one out these days. Just get on the internet and, and start taking a look at their, their roster of films. What kinds of films do they typically bring on? Are the, are the films in alignment with the type of uh, film that you have or the messaging that you have with your film? Or do they take on a number of different types of films? Are they maybe documentary specific or do they bring on, you know, other films like uh, fictional narratives, if you will. Find out if any of their films have gone on to receive any awards at film festivals. Research if there's been distribution of films afterwards. I've actually written filmmakers directly from these lists and asked them about their experiences with the, with the fiscal sponsor organization. Now, filmmakers are generally pretty open to sharing this sort of thing with other filmmakers since, you know, we're all in the same boat with this type of thing. And it's also kind of expected that not everyone's experience is going to be the same as another person's. It's why I didn't feel so bad about, about sharing with you my experience with CID. Again, they've worked well for others, just not so much for me. Which leads me to number two, which is, do they offer any other services? We talked about the main reason for doc filmmakers to be seeking out fiscal sponsors is the ability for donors to be able to, to use their donations as a tax write-off. But are there some other reasons we might partner up with an organization? I'm glad you asked. Uh, a big part of what I was missing with CID was some kind of, I think I alluded to it earlier, a one-on-one -on -one interaction between an arts organization and an individual artist. Now, perhaps naively, I, I was hoping for some intimate relationship whereby, I don't know, CD, CID would share all of the deep secrets of documentary film funding with me, or, or they'd be there for some, some consultation when, when I'd come up against some, some documentary filmmaking obstacle. Now, I would later on realize that my expectations were probably a bit unrealistic. While they did say that they were there as a resource center for documentary filmmakers, when I started making calls and getting an answering machine that sounded like it was from the 80s, it, it should have been obvious to me that their, that their manpower was probably a bit limited, especially since they'd had such a massive roster of doc films. So it's a good idea when doing your research or when reaching out to other doc filmmakers to find out what kinds of services, if any, that the fiscal sponsor might offer doc filmmakers, other than, of course, the, the, um, the aforementioned uh, umbrella of 501c3 status. The fiscal sponsor that I would end up getting for, for my next few projects was, it was more local. Um, they took on more local projects. They didn't take on any more than, and than 20 at a time. And, and so I think naturally they were a bit more selective and attentive to their relationships. Now these guys, uh, the Hollywood Theater in Portland, Oregon, they were open to taking calls and offering up resources, or they could at least point me in the direction um, where I could get an answer to my question if they perhaps didn't didn't know themselves. Also, a nice additional perk that they offered as, as part of their fiscal sponsorship agreement is that we could have a screening of our film for free, or, or we could host a fundraising party at, at no additional charge. Of course, everyone offers different things, some more than others. Some simply choose to be hands-off entirely, and they just allow for the tax exemption ability. You just need to do your due diligence and discover what fiscal sponsors are willing to offer. Number three of the five things to look for in a fiscal sponsor is, what's their cut? 
This is every bit as important as finding out what a car lender or or mortgage lender is willing to offer you when it comes to their interest rate, let's say. It's important for you to find out what the fiscal sponsor's cut is that they take from the funds that are funneled through their 501c3 status. Remember, at the end of the year, they have to fill out all kinds of paper, you know, paperwork to the federal government. And, and they're the organization that's officially the, the nonprofit, you know, which took a lot of time and money to establish. So they're absolutely due some compensation. It's just a matter of finding out how much you're willing to be comfortable with in terms of what they take. And you'd think that it might be a fairly established amount, this, 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 uh, this charge that organizations um, have for fiscal sponsorship services, but it's not. It actually varies somewhat pretty greatly. Generally, though, it's, it, it's in the ballpark of, of 9 to 15%, some even a little higher. Again, it kind of depends on, on what they're offering in exchange um, what their status is in the industry, and maybe some specific requirements that 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 uh, that you have on a, uh, for your project. There really isn't much more to say on this subject. It, it is pretty straightforward. Just do your research, find out what each potential fiscal sponsor charges for their services. And and when I say charge for their services, remember this is simply off the top of any monies, i.e., donations again, that are funneled through their system. You're not, you're, you're not paying out of pocket, nor should you ever be paying a fiscal sponsor out of your pocket. That, to the best of my knowledge, is, is, is fairly unheard of. And I personally, I'd be highly skeptical of anyone um, that was doing such a thing. Number four is what are the application requirements? It's the same as if you were applying for a grant or applying for a particular job. You'd need to know all that was needed, all that was necessary, right, in order to successfully complete the application, would you not? Fiscal sponsorship applications, they should not be treated any differently. Most organizations will have a guidelines posted on their website, and if you don't see them anywhere, call a representative of the org and find out what they can tell you about the application requirements. Actually, I honestly wouldn't bother with anyone who doesn't have a site of guidelines posted somewhere on their site, but maybe that's just me. To me, that's just not a good sign that they're an organization that's super versed in the world of fiscal sponsorships. Um, you might call someone and find out that they're new to the whole fiscal sponsorship thing or, or something, but, but that they sound like a great fit for you in your film, and, and you should certainly uh, follow through with that. Uh, but if they didn't have it posted somewhere on their site, I'm, again, I might be a little bit skeptical of that. Application requirements, they vary from simply just needing a mission statement and synopsis for your film to, you know, many will want to see some sort of a trailer or footage, certainly, of your film. Some will insist on a full detailed budget from, you know, from pre-production all the way through distribution. Many will want to know what your plan is for fundraising. It makes sense, right? After all, they'll want to make at least some money from this agreement. So in order to do this, they, they need to see that, that you will, in fact, be going out and raising funds for your project. Just keep in mind, the fiscal sponsor is effectively representing your project as a subgrantor. So they want to be assured that, that you're someone who has a plan for fundraising. And lastly, rounding out the five is, is what is the turnaround time for getting fiscal sponsorship? Let's be honest here. The reason that most of us even looked into this whole fiscal sponsorship thing in the first place it's because we had a grant application that only accepted applications from a 501c3 entity and that the deadline for application is like next week. 
don't laugh, you know that you've done this. And I'm not just talking about film grant applications. Joking aside, it's a good idea to find out what the usual turnaround time is on fiscal sponsorship applications. You can certainly ask for a fiscal sponsor to expedite the process. And depending on how many applications they're receiving, they're generally pretty good about honoring such requests. But that being said, it, it, it does seem like the turnaround process is generally anywhere from, from two to four weeks. Again, this is depending on the fiscal sponsor and how many projects they're generally you know dealing with. And, and some fiscal sponsors only accept applications during certain times of the year. So it is a good idea to make sure if you don't see this listed somewhere on, on the website, you call them or email them and ask if they accept applications on a rolling basis or if it's only certain times of the year. Let's go over this list of five things to look for in a fiscal sponsor one more time. One is what is their reputation? Two is do they offer any other services? Three, what's their cut? And the cut is, of course, what they're, uh, what they're receiving on their end as, as, as the money funnels through for, from donations for your film. Number four is what are the application requirements? And number five, what is the turnaround time for getting the fiscal sponsorship? So those are some things to be looking for as you set out to find yourself a fiscal sponsorship. You may be wondering about the names of some of the more established organizations that are dealing in fiscal sponsorships with doc filmmakers. So what I'm going to do is, is post the names and links to, I don't know, say 10 or so of such organizations that you might consider looking into as potential fiscal sponsors. I'll even put CID up there in case anyone should think I was being overly negative about them. I don't want to do that. But but yes, after the show, feel free to head to the show notes for this episode at uh, www.thedocumentarylife.com and, and I'll make sure to have this list of fiscal sponsors posted there. It is now time for the Doc Lifer Community Question of the Week, which comes from Doc Lifer William in Liverpool of the UK. William says, Hi Chris, love your podcast. Have been listening for the past half year and think that the content you offer and the guests that you have on the show really make this my go-to filmmaking podcast. Keep up the tremendous work. I'm writing in reference to the weekly live event that you've recently begun. I would really like to be a part of this. However, have been unable to attend since you are holding this at a time that is not really workable for me. Two in the morning. In listening to your show and reading the posts on your Facebook community page, it really seems that you have a contingent of doc filmmakers that are in the UK and other parts of Europe. I realize that it would be impossible to reach everyone around the world with a live program such as this, but I wonder if you wouldn't consider holding the event at an earlier time so that we Europeans might also be able to be involved. Again, I realize that you can't please everyone, and I'm one person. Maybe your biggest audience is American, and you yourself are now located in the States. But I just wanted to make my voice heard, since I really do love the show and would love to be an even bigger part of the community. Thank you again for the brilliant show. Keep up the grand work, William. Well, William in Liverpool, first off, first off, thank you for coming aboard this ever-growing Doc Lifer community. Secondly, I have to say I'm a big fan of your town. I absolutely loved when we visited Liverpool. It's a really great town, and I, and I definitely plan on spending more time there in the future. 
Now, as you yourself noted, we are pretty global here at TDL, and, and, and we seem to be adding listeners from, from other countries every day. And that's an amazing and wonderful thing. I, I hope it never stops until we have, I don't know, every damn country on this planet covered. I mean, wouldn't that be cool to one day realize you know, that there are doc filmmakers literally in every corner of this planet? Yeah. So, so Antarctica, you, you continent, you, if there's ever been one download from you, I'm going to see it. And, uh, and I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that to happen. Anyhow, you're right, William. It, it is impossible to hold one of these live events at a time that will work for everyone. Um, good thing is I do field questions and comments uh, via via email or on the on the community page before I go live, and I will absolutely answer anyone's questions regardless if they're in attendance of the actual live event or not. And and remember the video of the event it, it immediately gets posted following following the event, so so anyone can view the thing in its entirety afterwards. You're also right that we do have a larger li- listenership here in the U.S. But we are not directing our topics and guests for an American-specific audience. I hope that no one ever thinks that. Because it is always my intent to keep this as appropriate as possible for a global audience. This is for documentary filmmakers the world over. It is not country-specific. And by the way, the UK has currently surpassed Canada in number of downloads of the show, which basically puts you guys at number two, um, number two, followed by Canada, Japan, and Australia. Incidentally, I've never once heard from any listener in Japan. Plenty of emails, social media shares, Facebook community group postings from, from Canadians, Aussies, Americans, and Brits. Um, and of course, many other people from around the world, but somehow not once from a Japanese listener, which is it's kind of funny, right? Considering they're number four on the list. So come on, Japan, we want to hear from you. Send me an email, reveal yourselves. Tell us of the doc films that are happening in your country. Okay, I've digressed a little bit again there, William. We have heard your call. You are not the only person from the UK that has expressed interest in being able to attend the live event. So in an effort to do this, next Monday, December 18th, we will be holding the next TDL Facebook Live event at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This will make it 8 p.m. for you guys in the UK. And we should be able to get all of Europe uh, for that matter. This is this 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 whole thing, it's all a work in progress. You know, as we do here with the show, we're always trying to evolve in order to bring you a better TDL experience. So we're going to change up the time again and see what the response is like. Again, the next TDL5 Facebook Live event will be held at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard U.S. time. Thanks again for the feedback, William. Um, I look forward to seeing you soon at, at a live event. If you yourself might like to share a question with the community or offer up some feedback of your own, or give some topic or, or guest suggestions, we would love to hear from you. Please email me at chris at barongfilms.com. And you too, you could be included in a future Doc Lifer Community Question of the Week segment. Next up, we're going to learn a bit about the mysterious world of film promotion, marketing, and distribution when we have a conversation with Rebecca Louisa Smith, founder and CEO of the Film Festival Doctor. That conversation coming up after a short break. I am Chris G. Parkhurst, and you are listening to The Documentary Life.
If you're anything like me, you appreciate a good checklist. I've got all kinds of checklists in my life. Every night, I'm creating my to-do list for the next day. Whenever we go camping, I have a camping checklist. Whenever I go out on a shoot, I have a checklist with all of the gear, shots, and B-roll that I'll need. So one day, I thought to myself, why not some kind of checklist for doc filmmakers? And so I came up with one. It's called the Documentary Filmmaker's Essential Checklist, and it's completely free to any doc filmmaker who wants to learn the essential aspects of making a documentary film in the modern day industry. I am all about empowering documentary filmmakers, and this course does just that. It is my sincere hope that this free course will help make your doc film's journey truly the exhilarating and rewarding experience that it can and should be. Enroll today for free by going to thedocumentarylife.com slash courses. I am welcomed by Rebecca Louisa Smith. Rebecca is the CEO and founder of the Film Festival Doctor, which is a consultancy and management group that offers a range of services to international filmmakers in order to help them achieve successful worldwide distribution and exposure. Thank you for joining us today on The Documentary Life, Rebecca. It's a delight to have you on the show. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Rebecca, why don't you sort of briefly, before we really get into the nitty gritty of things like film festivals and distribution and promotions and marketing for, for documentary films for our filmmakers, why don't you give us a brief description about some of the services that, uh, that film, the Film Festival Doctor is responsible for? So, um, as you rightly said, we work in film distribution and what we do is offer um, services where we help our filmmakers place their films in the right film festivals around the world and also help them find a suitable sales agent and PR. Hmm. And we offer a fully comprehensive 360 degree service which takes care of all the planning, logistics and organisation. And we do work with both shorts and features and fiction, obviously non-fiction. And in terms of the services, we offer consultancy services yeah. and management services. So in terms of like a little bit more about those two services, yeah. when we do a consultancy, that's when we uh, watch the filmmaker's film or read the script if it's a script stage okay. and uh, advise them how to create a successful award-winning distribution campaign for their film, I see. which will be encompassing, you know, which kind of, which type of sales agents might want to represent it, which festivals are the best suited film, best festivals for the film, uh, PR opportunities, how to actually think of the bigger picture and how to plan ahead uh, the stage they're at to get their film uh, into the right uh, platforms that they mm. that, that, that the film will be strength will be strong the film is the strongest for, mm. and help them achieve their goals. Mm. And it's also important as well during our consultancy that we talk about budgets, so you know not to overspend or how to prepare to spend X amount of money and how to raise it or what you need to what you need money need to find for mm. budgets etc. All comes into the into the play, uh-huh. and. Uh, also about the filmmaker too, about what they want to achieve. So it's okay. about how their product can help them uh, get where they want to be in their careers. And then they then uh, use the knowledge and expertise that we've given them and the advice to implement it themselves independently. I see. Okay. And, th- and that's for the consultancy service? Yep, that's okay. correct. Okay, great. And when we uh, and the other service we offer is our management service. Yes. 
that is where we can help them and come on board as part of their team and uh, help them place the film in the right festivals with the right sales agents uh, on their behalf. Okay. So that involves lobbying the film to our contacts directly, creating the strategy for us to work on together with the filmmaker. And it's not a case of we take exclusivity. It's, a, it's more a case of that um, the filmmaker becomes involved with us and then we you know to their approval, we approach these festivals, we tell them what they're doing on a regular basis. You know, we become part of the team. Uh, it's not like independent service, it's, it's purely working with them right. to help them achieve goals on that journey. Okay. Uh, so also that includes organising all the festival screenings, uh, bringing in our PR team should that need to be, uh, they need to want PR and also our sales team should they wish to find a sales agent. Mm. Um, and obviously organising the return of all the durables and getting the screening time, the best times we can get for them. So it's that kind of level of detail, very attention to detail. Excellent. So consultancy and management services are sort of the two main blocks that you would put what you do into. So great. Okay. And, and backing up a little bit, please tell us if you could, what is your connection to film and filmmaking? And within that answer, you can get us to really how the Film Festival Doctor came about in the first place. So my connections to filmmaking uh, actually come through the film festival circuit. So I'm not a filmmaker myself per se, right. uh, but I began my career working and producing a festival uh, in Wales, in Aberystwyth, in the UK, called the Abattoir Horror Festival. Mm. That began as a very small festival uh, back in like, 2008, mm. and now it's become one of uh, the most prestigious genre film festivals within, uh, well, within the world, really. Yeah. Um, so how that came about was was actually quite interesting. So my, my plan was actually not to really work in festivals, to be honest. I was actually doing my PhD in academia. So I began uh, my career working as a PA for uh, corporate companies. Yep. And then I moved from being a PA um, to going into academia and learning all about film and film theory as a BA undergraduate and then an MA. And I have my PhD, so I'm a doctor. And it was halfway through the PhD, because it was, when you do a PhD, you can imagine it's a lot of writing and bias, computer screen all the time, and it's mm. a bit, you know, solitary. Uh, my good friend, uh, Gaz, uh, who, well, Gareth, who runs the Arts Under Cinema, actually told me just out passing, oh, I've been asked to set up a horror film festival from the film uh, Agency for Wales. Uh, and he was like, oh, do you want to help? I was like, oh, why not? It's like a, you know, happy distraction from writing at 24-7. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> so I thought it was just a bit of fun. And that bit of fun actually reali made me realize I want to be working now in film and within the film festival circuit and not in academia. So mm. I did finish up I did finish my PhD, so I, did, I had to get a doctorate, and I worked hard for it because it was it's a great PhD. I'm really proud of it. But it wasn't then; it changed my career. Right. So during the time I was working and producing festivals, fest, the festival with uh, Gavs, it was a lot of fun. And I actually started to ask filmmakers, you know, what they liked and disliked about film festivals. And they all said, oh, we love coming to festivals, you know, meeting new people, networking, meeting new people to work with, uh, feedback on our films, seeing on a cinema screen, parties, networking, uh, drinks, you know, the usual thing. Right. But they all, then they said, actually, we don't know how to get our film into festivals. We don't know anybody can help us. There's not much support around or what, also, you know, what to do in terms of distribution, like what we do with it when it's finished and, you know, sales and all that to us is a bit new. So it's, it's not really where we can really turn to. Right. So that's a bit lacking. And I was like, Ooh, well, there aren't many people actually, there aren't many people actually do this. I mean, obviously there are, so I saw there was a gap in the market to be filled and I was like, right. Cause I love what I do so much. And I think now it actually is my sole purpose to mm. be, 
helping filmmakers achieve their goals and get these films out there and create this sort of exposure. I really want to work on this and really, you know, make this happen. So I thought, there's business here. And took the business plan idea to Cannes Film Festival in 2010. And people were like, oh, yes, this is a very good idea. You know? <laughs> so I think it's worth you pursuing. So I pursued it. And now it's gone from being a small company to now being more established. Yeah. And we have a great slate of films that we work on. And we work with the best of the best. And we've achieved uh, the filmmakers' dreams. And that's what makes our dreams come true. Talking with you is wonderful in, in that the film festival and distribution circuit and strategies is obviously, as you have seen yourself, something that independent filmmakers are in great need of and often have a very, very little understanding of and really don't really um, don't really know where to turn to to find out the answers for so many questions. And so someone like yourself is obviously uh, an invaluable resource. So I think let's talk about sort of general advice in, in how about getting into festivals. And maybe let's put it this way. If you're a first or second time documentary filmmaker, um, mm-hmm. what is your initial, what do you recommend being the approach and what are the types of festivals that we should be applying to? Well, the first thing you got to figure out is what type of film have I got? Have I got a festival viable film? Mm. Will festivals want my film? And the way to answer those questions is to have screenings where you have your um, industry colleagues, not your friends and family, so you want to hear, more like industry, you know, objective industry professionals, people like myself, and distributors who can give you the feedback you need to hear to help understand what kind of product you have. So if you have got a festival viable film, you're going to figure out, well, what do I want to achieve on the festival circuit with my film? Okay. How can festivals help me, but also... How can I help festivals? So what impact will my documentary make to these certain types of festivals that would be a good fit for my film? And how can we help each other? I always kind of say to my clients, it's not a case of, you know, to get into some festivals, hope for the best, and, you know, they can help us. It is a two-way street. Mm. Is it more of, you know, is that festivals offer this huge platform, abundance of networking, socializing, contacts, and feedback, and cinema screenings. You know, there's lots of stuff happens at festivals, and there's so much that can be done from that. Uh, to take advantage of but then obviously that's with the right films at the festivals so it's going to think how can I help the festival so will this film of mine suit their audience and if it does then let's submit and let's put it on our strategy how do we find the right people say I'm say I'm an independent film filmmaker and I'm you know, in in your case in the UK, I'm I'm located in in Ipswich in the UK, or say I'm yeah. in the States and I am in um, I'm in Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm yeah. not necessarily um, I'm not easily connected to industry people. How do I then get my film out to the type of people that you're talking about that can give me that advice on whether whether or not my film is uh, is 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 film festival worthy? That would be coming to me. <laughs> um, so it would be a case of um, reaching out and sending us the link and, you know, saying what your needs are. So more a case of, you know, you've got to think about how much exposure do, you, do I want to have? What type of exposure do I want? You know, so what is my ideal kind of journey? And then we can then figure out how we can help you further and also then assess your film within that context. Um, so, in you know, there's always a gift of email. Mm. Um but in terms of like more, say, if you want to see more local kind of uh, help, then it's important to maybe um, reach out to film community screenings, you know, or, or kind of film clubs right. that have in there like an objective audience who aren't attached emotionally to your film. Oh, I see. 
so those that haven't got any you know haven't got any attachment to it uh, or know of it so it's purely you know brand new in their in their eyes and give feedback that will be very objective and non-judgmental Rebecca, what are some of the common mistakes that you feel like independent filmmakers who aren't in the know, what are some of the common mistakes that they're making when they first set out to try to get into film festivals? The key thing, the biggest mistake is that they don't have a strategy. And secondly, they don't know what they want. Mm. So, for example, when people come to me who are, say, maybe Mike quite new, they say, well, we just, you know, did a kind of a scattered approach, hope for the best, put it into some festivals and see what happens. That's not a focused, streamlined strategy. Uh, that is, that is, there's no strategy there. That's that's not even a plan. It's just we made it, so let's chuck it in and hope for the best. Yeah. That's because you could miss a lot of things. Not just, I don't mean deadline, that's mean miss opportunities that other festivals could be more well suited. Right. And also what they can also make, another mistake is that they um, submit to festivals when it's like late deadlines and the fees are very high. Yeah. Uh, it's always best to submit early when the fees are uh, much lower um, and will be you know, more realistic for their budget. You've already mentioned that a mistake you'll see is, is a filmmaker hasn't thought much about their strategy or really doesn't have one in place at all. And then they finish their film and then they think, well, okay, now I just need to send it out to festivals. So walk me through when and, and how, what that looks like for, say, an independent documentary filmmaker. When should we be formulating that strategy? And maybe give me a couple of steps on, on how to start formulating it. So the, the, to start with, um, it is really a case of figuring out um, really what you want an early stage and the best time to really get your festival strategy um, uh, uh, created is during development phase. Mm. Now, we always, people say that, people do say, oh, that's way too early, but it's actually not. Because say, for example, you're in the development phase of funding a documentary and your idea, etc. Yeah. And what you need to do is you need to insert into your uh, lookbook and your uh, funding pack to finances what you're going to do with it when it's finished. So those that are going to invest money into it, you've got to tell them, right, well, here's the, how the money's going to be spent, but also where it will be seen. At the end of it, you can have your distribution strategy at the end as a, as a appendix or, you know, on the final part of the, of the pack. So, you know, obviously the first part of the pack will, you know, talk about the projects and how much money and budget, that kind of thing. And then at the end, it'll be about distribution. So you can then say, you know, our film, due to its subject matter and themes, that's a pretendous human rights documentary, uh, will be uh, absolutely well suited because of the strengths of the film and our themes and how we aim to portray the subjects and give the snapshot at these types of festivals around the world. And for example, you then put, we aim to have a world premiere at one of these festivals, X, Y, and Z, running you know, in these types of the, of the month, the year, when the film will be finished. And we also aim to attach these sales agents at an early stage because mm. they're going to be great people, most the most suitable people to sell our film because they have similar projects. And we aim for a theatrical, theatrical release in um, certain territories after the festival run on this on these dates, for example. So you have a clear map. So you think of always think of like the last step first. Does that make sense? Right, right. So not a case of when it's finished, oh, what do we do? You know, I mean, that, that can be done. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong if you haven't thought of like festivals when the film is finished. It's not an issue. Right. Um, so it can still be done. It's still possible. Anything's possible. But I'm thinking ideally. Yeah, ideally. Right, right. Ideally, we should be 
we should be ahead of the game. I think it's important to differentiate between, for my listeners, uh, Rebecca is, is, is not talking about something like a press kit. That's entirely different. You are talking about something more that you can approach people who perhaps you're trying to bring on as an executive producer or some, or investors, obviously more important, people that might help fund your film. This is the, this is the packet or the lookbook you were referring to that you've put together whereby people can see, um, they can see what your strategy, not only what your film is about, but they can see the strategy from start to finish and therefore be more, I guess, give them a reason to be invested in your project by showing them how invested you yourself are. Exactly. That's spot on. And also how serious you are, obviously, okay. about the project right. and that it will be, you know, part of a uh, part of a, a it's a long term, you know, not just giving up when it's finished. Mm. It's going to be like, you know, we're very dedicated right now. So I want it to be. This is our vision. And our vision is these festivals uh, with these types of audiences who will celebrate the film, potentially win awards. And also what you also might want to put in there if you feel it's, you know, really strong enough is to think about, you know, these festivals will help us on our journey towards um, to being nominated for a BAFTA or an Oscar. Fantastic. Right, right. A big part of what can help some of this, I'm assuming, is is our online presence. So can yeah. you talk to us about what that online presence needs to be, including what kinds of social media should the doc lifers be using and, and, and basically what are the top things in an online sense that we should consider about marketing? Okay, so it's very important uh, to engage with social media and the best platforms that I find, um, for the most effective platforms, what I mean by best, the ones that people actually engage with properly and you get interest and you have to kind of build up at an early stage the no like trust formula ah. which which means that people start to get to know the project and more about you they start to maybe like it because they see more about it and engage and then they trust it to then talk to you more about and that process can be uh not overnight obviously you now i trust is building up a rapport to a degree but just right. on social media language so the platforms that are most beneficial uh, for documentary and any types of film really i've found are instagram facebook and uh twitter and let's talk a little bit about the differences of each and how they sh how we should yeah. be using them. Now, it's all about pictures nowadays. <laughs> People don't really read long, ginormous posts or even posts that aren't that really long, to be honest. It's got to be short to the point. And the way to express that is by visually striking images that really portray the ambience and harmony of the film. So, for example, when you set up a Facebook page for the film, let's pretend it's... Um, um, oh, let me think of it as a random title, uh, Rebecca's Human Rights Documentary. Again, that's not the name of the film, but let's just say, let's give an example. So Rebecca's film. So we do a um, Facebook page for Rebecca's film, and then we have in there, you know, a striking uh, a cover, and we have also a striking, um, what's the word, images from the film, and logo of the company is also important. But also, when you use Facebook, um, the Facebook page for the film, it's not just going to be constant updates about the film in question that you're that you know that you're producing that you're making at that time. Is actually now you're going to engage the bigger picture. Mm. So if we say that my documentary is about human rights in South Africa. Yeah. Then it's important to actually add to those uh, people to like the page. Obviously, the types of groups, but also uh, like news reports about what's happening within that area of. Um, of their realm that way you say you know oh a breakthrough today has happened in SA in Johannesburg about the mines or something like that you know you know what I mean so that kind of example where it's 
going to be something that's real and from the news and not all about the film to engage on the page and to see that how serious it is. And it doesn't have to be that you're an authority on the subject. It's just that you're sharing these subjects and you show that you're connected to this to this subject and that that you're passionate about it. And therefore, you're helping build your audience by giving them an understanding of what you know and then perhaps drawing them in with with uh, with what they they know and what they're interested in. Yes, so you know your audience, you know who your festival audience might be, and your theatrical audience, and also so that you know your subject and that you can actually take this film to the end. Mm. And that just not to means the end of making it, but I mean it's in the end of like the last film festival screening. So yes, absolutely spot on about that. Okay. And then by also this needs to be created when the film's in ideally in its um development and you know or, or pre-production phase uh, when it's about to get started so people can then start you know engaging with it at an early stage start you know trusting it and then know about it early and put it on their radars and mm. start that no like trust process early if though for example you've, you've left it till when it's finished doesn't matter it means you've got a finished film you can say you know oh out in festivals next year we finished our film here's the first look at the trailer or whatever you know and then adding those same kind of you know um news articles as well to really open up the audience and get more people to like it that's organic likes and not paid for likes right. that aren't genuine people that like the movie let's talk a little bit about about distribution because i know that's a big part of what you do obviously the film festival strategy is a big part of what you do but distribution yep. is included in that um what what are some of the things that that uh, a first time doc filmmaker uh, should understand about the distribution process and how and who should they start reaching out to and, and how does one even do that? Um, documentary and in terms of distribution, documentary isn't as easy as narrative fiction, mm. probably for obvious reasons. But from from a point of view of a sales agent, if it's about say for example um, David Bowie. Uh, that would get, you know, like probably more than likely be able to attach a sales agent or distribution company at right. an early stage. It's about a, a subject they can actually, it's commercially known and, you know, more kind of general and broader audience mm. uh, about someone like someone like David Bowie, you know, for example, or some kind of legendary rock star, movie star, or an icon, you know, for example, um, or even like something like some, like a very well-known human rights area potentially could be, you know, of, of interest. But when it's more of, say, of a, a niche snapshot into a culture that's going to be a bit limited in audience, yes. then it's going to be festivals are going to be more than likely the distribution outlet for the film and maybe then having to find, you know, smaller VOD deals with a more bespoke company that can do that. So in this stage, say it is maybe a film the filmmaker wouldn't be sure about where it would fit, you know, because of the subject matter and how it's going to be presented. So it'd be good to reach out to sales agents and say, you know, I'm not sure if it's for you, but if you give me feedback on, you know, who you think might be best for it, mm. or if it's not you, someone else you could recommend, I'd be most grateful to start early and not be left with a finished film that's great, but no one wants it. So do that, like, you know, obviously development stage. If it though comes to the point where it's finished, at least that means you can then submit to festivals to then get more of an interest from sales agents, you know, say, oh, it's just going to screen, at, you know, One World Human Rights Festival, IDFA, or um, Doc Days, you know, whatever, Docs Barcelona. And they go, oh, okay, this is interesting. It must be a high-quality film. So let's see what it's about and if it's sellable. You know, there is that route too. If I'm a doc filmmaker and I have a first film, and I have a, a festival strategy in place, and perhaps I've gotten into a few, you know, smaller festivals, and I look for distribution. What is the recommendation from you in terms of 
who should I start talking to about distribution? Are there any specific smaller companies? Are there any platforms that people maybe maybe are lesser known? I mean, there's the obvious like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. Mm. Um, are there some other platforms that uh, that you can tell us that may be less known about that we maybe have a better chance of uh, that might be more interested in our in our doc film? I would say it would be more a case of approaching the right type of sales agents who could advise on that. So, for example, um, someone like Dogwolf, they are always at film market. So my advice would be, say, when you've got a finished film or even if it's in development stage or whatever pre-production phase, is to attend a film market. So, for example, coming up next will be the Berlin Arle, the Berlin Film Festival. And that will have the European film market. Mm. And that's where you could then, you know, approach documentary sales agents that focus upon docs and, you know, say to them, here is my film and is of interest to you, but also who might want it, which platform would you maybe say, would it be best for an agent, would it be best to do it, self-distribution, what would you say? So someone like Dogwolf, as I mentioned earlier, are one of the best of the best in terms of um, selling documentary films. Uh, they're well known. They have a fantastic slate. They have Oscar-winning films and Battle-winning films that are all the best, the best documentaries. Um, I mean, there are obviously sales agents do have documentaries on their slate. Not, I mean, they don't all have just narrative fiction. Right. So it's worth approaching them for like, you know, would it be of interest to their distribution clients, uh, or would it be more best suited to be, you know, in someone else's hands? They'd be best to advise, you know, who and where and how to go there. But then by going to a film market. You actually probably will then get more of a uh, insight into documentary distribution, and the best place to do that actually is the Berlinale Film Festival, okay. because they actually have um, a Meet the Docs um, uh, program that runs as part of the festival, and it's on the first few days of the festival, and they they have um, a Meet the Docs, you know, festival programmers, hmm. and also a Meet the Docs uh, distributors. Um, 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 kind of like one-to-ones and there's always uh, one-to-one sorry there's always group um, seminars as well yeah. about the future documentary distribution and they're all really really helpful so that's a great place to go with a documentary specifically uh, for that reason and Rebecca when did you say that's coming up uh, it runs in February. It starts the 15th February. of February. Okay, excellent. And and maybe offline, maybe you could send me a link to some of their information because uh, what I'd love to do is maybe post that up in the show notes so people can see a little bit more about Berlin Ollie. Yep, absolutely. Excellent, excellent. Okay, Rebecca, let's talk more now about specifically your company, the Film Festival Doctor. And walk me through the process I'm again say I'm I'm a first or second time documentary filmmaker, which makes up a large part of, of my listenership, and I've got a uh, I've got a documentary film that I feel pretty good about. I don't uh, uh, I, I'm let, let's say I'm in let's say I'm in the post production. I've got a rough cut, and yeah. I want you to I'm looking for someone like yourself, like the film festival doctor, to help me put together a film festival and distro uh, strategy. How can we get a hold of you? And then how does that relation, what should we bring to that relationship? And then how does the relationship look uh, moving forward? Okay. So you can reach me uh, via email, uh, which is me directly. Um, you can contact me directly. And uh, the email is Rebecca, so R-E-B-E-K-A-H, at thefilmfestivaldoctor.com. And also our website to look at the website first where you'll get an impression of what we do and who we've helped and more information about the, the company and our services 
which is the filmfestivaldoctor.com. And then when you reach out to us via email, uh, say in the email, you know, I have a finished film. I want now to figure out how how I best um, approach festivals and which festivals are going to be the right ones for my film to get it out there to achieve my goals. And then we will take a look at the film and we'll then tell you, you know, assess its festival viability and say, oh, well, yes, you know, it definitely has some potential, etc. And then to schedule initial uh, introductory Skype call, talk more about what we can offer you. And also, most importantly, is what the filmmaker wants. So, you know, so what do you need? What do you want to achieve? What's your ideal um, journey? You know, what, how do you want, where do you want the film to get to? Then we can then figure out during that call how we can help you further and where we can take you. Okay, so are you saying that, um, for instance, if I have a film and I'm ready to figure out, uh, I didn't say, I, uh, unfortunately, I didn't have a, fest or a strategy in place. And so I have my film and I approach you. Are you saying that you will take a look at my film uh, and, and let me know initially whether or not it's film festival worthy or distribution worthy before we, we would even potentially further a, a business relationship? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And um, we don't, you know, we very you have to be honest about it, and uh, because it's you know going to be helpful for you for the next film and you know your whole career. So yes, that's correct. And we even if we couldn't work on the film, yeah. I mean, let's say God forbid we, we couldn't work. Normally we can, but sometimes you can't. Uh, we would then want to keep in touch and see how your how your work is progressing. I want to know more about it um, and your whole career, so we can then come in the right time for the next project and help you get it into festival shape. And so, if I'm if I'm if if I decide to to hire you guys um, to to work with me to come up with the with a festival and distribution strategy, what sorts of specifically what do I have to bring to the table? What am I going to be supplying to you guys as we as we work together? So when we begin festival managing a project and getting it out there, obviously we need the film for obvious reasons, a trailer. We need a very good trailer, not like a massive long one, you know, 30 seconds, one minute maximum is fine. Um, and we also need um, to have a, a, very, a wide range of stills uh, to promote the film to our social media mm -hmm. and also festivals when they, when they want the, um, you know, to promote the film themselves, they might just screen a poster and a press kit so the press kit is what you mentioned earlier it's very different to the finance pack obviously so the press kit talks pretty much about what the film is so a synopsis director's statement biographies of the cast and crew you know the, the key cast and crew hod's um contact details and the trailer as i said so all the kind of marketing materials we're going to need to help um pitch the film to festival programmer contacts how do the services work? What am I paying for and what are the fees? So we have different types of packages. So we have bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. And bronze is where we manage some of the campaign and do several submissions. And the prices begin at £1,500 for a year's contract. Okay. The, the platinum package is a lot different because that's a retainer per month as it's a lot more involved. So it's doing the whole campaign, you know, up to about 60 festivals. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So we have different packages for different budgets and different needs and desires and goals. Rebecca, is there anything as we wrap up here that you'd like us to know about that I haven't covered? I think I would like just to maybe finish by emphasizing that uh, our kind of what our portfolio consists of. Um, obviously, as I said earlier, is that we um, work with both 
you know, features and shorts, fiction and non-fiction, with filmmakers all over the world. And we have got specialist areas. So one of our specialist areas actually is music documentary mm-hmm. and representing and, in, and uh, films from South Africa and genre. So it's quite a varied mix, um, what we do specialise in. It's quite eclectic. Um, but we any, any film we can help with and get you what you need uh, because we're there to support you long term. We've been speaking with Rebecca Louisa Smith, the founder and CEO of the film festival, Doctor. Rebecca, lovely speaking with you today, and I look forward to seeing how documentary can be a bigger presence with what you do. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. I thank you for your support. Don't forget, if you're interested in a guide to help you navigate the fundamental aspects of doc filmmaking, the things that every doc filmmaker should know, then get our free doc filmmaking course, The Documentary Filmmaker's Essential Checklist, by going to thedocumentarylife.com courses. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next episode.